right. Still feature, please, a hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. Um, Peter and I have literally already spent an hour and a half talking <laughs> about Star Trek already this evening. For us, it's just been instant because we're using Anorak's Kremen temporal yeah. space time, but for you, it's felt like a week since you heard us talking about this, so excuse our fatigue. <laughs> but we, uh, we're talking now about uh, part two of Year of Hell. So if for some reason you're catching this one, go back an episode. Go back it? 15 episodes. You know, go back to like the, when, when I get my good mic, episode uh, three. Episode four. Episode four, yeah. Those time travel ones, those early time travel ones suck anyways, but these new time travel ones, <laughs> they're great. Also go back and listen to our before and after podcast because, uh, what was that one? Uh, Cass reaches ultra instinct. No, 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 no. That was the, uh, the one where she, the gift, um, I forget what we named the one on before and after, but yeah, it was, we really, I liked that episode. So yeah, it was a good it, one. It was good. We enjoyed it. We don't know what the it. title is, but it was yeah, a good one. It was a good one. one. It was fine. Just, yeah, just find it. Sure. Sure. It, just keep listening until you find one. Tell your friends. Yeah. We haven't, we haven't begged you guys for a while. <laughs> Tell your friends, listen to all our stuff, uh, buy our t-shirts that don't exist in this timeline. That's fine. They'll Patreon, re- I think is around in all the timelines. That's true. That is, that is, that's around in all the timelines, not the coffee mug. Do you think, given the spiderweb nature of what the Kremen time vessel is doing, and because all of these worlds touch other worlds, and theoretically, like, there's no big expanses between the quadrants, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think what he's doing to rewrite stuff in the Delta Quadrants reaching into the Alpha Quadrant? I would have to say that, yeah. I mean, this is a big butterfly effect, right? Yeah, I mean... And why wouldn't you go back and kill the Borg while you're at it? To a degree, I imagine there would be some impacts. I just think that the further away you get, the less less and less it becomes. Like, there's a great lesson, actually, in this episode about unintended consequences of manipulating time and space, Mm -hmm. right? Um, About a a comet and what eliminating a single comet does to essentially eradicating life within 25 light years and that sort of thing. Uh, the vastness of the galaxy is going to prohibit there being like vast changes across too much space from this little corner of the universe. You know what I mean? <laughs> the Borg. Right. Completely <laughs> your prop. Yeah. I mean, like they can't really affect the Borg very well, right? I'm just saying that, you know, one person, one thing can in fact have major repercussions that span the entire galaxy. But yeah, I think there's definitely going to be some some buffering that goes on to the edges of this. When we last left our heroes, Voyager was fucked. All of the extras have been put off the ship. So it's just main cast members now. Mm-hmm. And Tom and Chakotay have been captured by in Space Boniker. Space Pokey. <laughs> in space. Play the song. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, Space Boniker has them on his, on his time ship. And on the Citadel. Yeah. On the Citadel. And there's basically two parallel storylines from this point forward. One, far more interesting than anything else, is finally getting a deep dive on Space Boddicker and why he is the way he is. Uh, because in part one, you don't see much of Anorex. He's like in two, three scenes tops. There's not a lot with him going on. And it's in part two that you hear, you see more of him, you hear more of him, you get a lot of interaction with him and Chakotay and backstory. And that stuff is very cool and very interesting. And then the other line is basically Janeway uh, slowly losing her fucking mind as her ship completely falls apart. And she trapaces around uh, without her uniform on anymore. And uh, as my wife pointed out, in a very generously padded bra. 
I have never really seen. I, I don't know. You go back to macroism. You said the same thing. Like they were trying to like sex her up, but just I, I don't pick up on it with her and her Gary Busey hair. We'll make sure that that is the case forever and ever. Then we open up with uh, the meteor storm hitting Voyager. Yeah, that's one of the first things that happens because that's when like all the burn makeup gets put on. It's actually that they're hiding in a ne- uh, nebula first, mm. and the nebula gas is getting in, and they have like the breathe breathers on. That is cool. Like the Minox are attaching to the hull, and they yeah. have to go out there and burn them off. The uh, the continued like decayed nature of the battle damage that Voyager has taken has a lot of continued effects here. You know, you, like you got this. They're hiding in this nebula, but the gas is getting in because the ship's all fucked up. And bulkhead emergency bulkheads aren't all sealing all the time. Eventually, like the deflector's not working, and like a meteorite storm suddenly is is a problem. So this nebula, she stays in there longer than the doctor. T- let's just like, hey, only eight minutes. She stays in there twelve minutes. She burns her lungs up real bad. He's like, you need to rest. She's like. Hit me with some fucking, you know, steroids. And he's like, those are illegal in MLB. And she's like, I'm a captain, do it. <laughs> so he's like, okay. But she still keeps coughing. And like, Janeway is a close talker, which we've talked about heavily. Right. And like, she's up there like close talking uh, seven and nine and like coughing. And it's like, listen, you can be a close talker or you can have the black lung, but you can't do both. You're being like real shitty right now. <laughs> coffin blood all over seven's pristine outfit it's you like know, you know how much of the ship's remaining energy goes into keeping this looking this way come on you know i thought she got a little uh bruise on her chin maybe it's just janeway coffin lugging she smeared it um eventually she has she does finally does that we we talked about last episode of accident it happens here where the, it's it's interesting so I don't know how much deep into like the technical manual stuff that you get. I assume pretty deep. Uh, I haven't. We had uh, Jack. Yeah, Jack say, uh, shared the one from Voyager on the tra- trauma support. I group. have not had an opportunity to actually look at that. Day. So they made a technical manual for Voyager, mostly for the writers to reference. Not that you would ever notice that. By the way, they go through like six hundred shuttlecraft. Right, and there's supposed to be three. <laughs> Literally, specifically. Um. But uh, they did not release. They said we're just going to make it into a full book. They did not make it into a full book, so it's a full PDF that never got released, and it's just floating around on the internet. And I think someone linked it, so check that out. Yeah, Jack linked that, and so please join the trauma support group if you're interested in reading that. The Vidra Please Trauma Support Group. We love talking about Star Trek with all of our fans on the Vidra Please Trauma Support Group and on the Vidra Please and the Trauma Support Group on, face- on Facebook because we're we're boomers and that's where we hang out. <laughs> the deflector, the navigational deflector, is what prevents a spaceship in the Star Trek science fiction universe from having a problem like when it's passing at high speeds because even impulse is high speed right it's approaching impulse light is speed warp one, yeah. yeah it's like a close closely approaching light speed so the deflector dish is a force field that goes out and just shoves all the shit out of the way right like little tiny little pieces of debris right that if you pass through it at that speed would like fuck you up well if it's not working suddenly a storm of meteorites is a real lethal problem for your ship and so eventually janeway has to captain america dive with her makeshift Captain America shield into a burning wreck of a room that has the control for the deflector in it to turn it on so they don't all die. And uh, her reward for doing so is to wake up in the makeshift uh, 
uh, triage center slash uh, mess hall with the doctor with a whole bunch of new burn makeup on uh, to represent her scars from the experience. And it's, it's supposed to set off her desperation journey about like the ship falling apart and her whole mission falling apart. And I don't think I get what they were trying to do. I just think it was so, it just never found the right gear and never connected. You know, I think it's just been done. And we've seen this Janeway too many times. I know what it is. I know what she's about. We're not right. learning anything new. She's hyper focused. She's obsessed with this thing, getting the, the crew home. And, uh, you know, there's, there's two things we know about Jane, three things. One, she has terrible hair now. <laughs> Terribly awesome. Man. Two, she is willing to do whatever it takes to get the crew home. And three, uh, which supplants two on a frequent basis is she is not afraid to blow the ship up. <laughs> <laughs> the only person who gets this, the only person who keeps this crew from getting home is me. <laughs> I want to get my crew home. You want to keep my crew from getting home? Well, guess what? You don't get to. Because I'm going to keep the crew from getting home. I like that you managed to modulate your voice enough to get that 50 cigarettes feel. But it's mm-hmm. that Kate Mulgrew feel. It's good. Chuck-O-Tay. 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 tay The best spelling. So, uh, the... <laughs> so she gets burned up pretty bad. And I think the pre-treatment burns are pretty legit looking and gross. I think the scars are kind of crappy, but whatever. I get, you know, actor comfort. Uh, And I think this is where the doctor really gives her the riot act of like, you need to chill the fuck out. And if you don't calm down, I'm going to pull medical officer rank and I'm going to uh, shut you. I'm going to, I'm going to take away your command. Yeah. He in fact goes there. He tries to revoke, Janeway's command authority and then you she know. threatens to kill him yes and he's like hey you see how you just threatened to kill one of the seven people left on the ship that shows that you've got space madness and she's like oh I'm so sorry you're right I talked without thinking I would not shut you down but uh no I'm still the captain and there's nothing you need to do to stop me because we're far away from the federation and uh if we when we get back you know you can I'll see you in court martial hell peace out a the the more interesting subplot is the return of co-opte so we jump back over to the citadel which is uh space bodikers science lair science lair (laughs) yes powered by the lava of the nearby volcano uh and he has had chakotay and tom paris in space pokey for several months in isolation uh, we find out that, uh, you know, Tom, like a fish to water, has been shanking people and <laughs> causing problems, you know, shoot 3.0. I, I do like that Space Boddicker, like, says, like, I've never experienced someone as just, like, out of control as Tom Paris. Like, he just will not calm down. He's got the space pipe. He's trying to crawl in the vents. <laughs> he He's... said, he tried, he put up bandana and said something about Forsuiter. Yeah. He... <laughs> tried to kill our space jesus over some <laughs> medical packs it's uh but you chakotay have been pretty cool and uh so he's got chakotay he's got uh paris and he's got this big buffet setup 
And he's like, hey, so let's talk. You know, I don't want to be the bad guy here. You guys are, you know, in a rough spot. I'm in a rough spot. I think we can help each other out. Enjoy some of this food. Enjoy some of this wine. It's really rare. Wink, wink, wink. We're going to get to that in a second. Um, he lays out his conundrum. It's like, look, your ship is causing all sorts of problems for us in these calculations we're trying to do. If you guys play ball with me. I think we can set a situation up where I can get you closer to your home and help you out. And you just leave us to go here. Also, by the way, uh, I'm kind of crazy and I am erasing entire civilizations at the drop of a hat. Oh, and all this food you're eating. This is all cuisine that exists from species and civilizations that I have eradicated. This uh, Caesar salad here, this is from the long lost Roman Empire. And this wine, this is from, uh, you know, the, I don't know. Some some species of shithead that these, thankfully these doesn't exist anymore. These kangaroos of, uh, <laughs> I don't know anything about wine. I know Lambrusco. <laughs> this carbonated pop wine you can buy at Aldi's. This isn't around anymore. This is hard. Killed those guys. These uh, Triscuits, these are a big deal. Like It's such a gruesome, I thought that was probably my favorite part of the whole episode was the fact that. He has all of these artifacts on the ship and and more. And it's not just that he's he calls it, you know, this is more than a weapon, this 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 ship, this is a museum. And I think he likes the fact that he's the last person to know about these things. Right. It's because it's not only that they he destroyed them, he that they never existed. There's no memory of them except for him, because he made it so they never happened. And he's eating this stuff now. Mm -hmm. and, and he's relishing the fact that the people on the ship are the only ones who have any hint that these great civilizations existed in another life. It, he's convincingly portrayed as equal parts rational and insane. That there is a part of him that there was probably at one point he was a very just normal, rational guy. And that, that part of his personality is still there as he's talking about Voyager and what his actual mission is, which he reveals in his dialogues with Chakotay, like he's a scientist, he's a Kremlin scientist and he invented this weapon. And the idea was to use this weapon to erase their, their biggest foe, their failure. And they did so. So they, they used the weapon to destroy the Kremlin's greatest rival. And then that's when they experienced the first unintended consequence, which is, and I thought this was such a neat detail was that despite the fact that this was a huge rival for us, our contact with them through the millennia and the implication also is some breeding introduced into the Kremen genome, a resistance to a disease that without their existence ravaged the Kremen and wiped them out. And so without even thinking of it by erasing it out of time, this foe of theirs, they made themselves weak to something else entirely. And that opened up all of this problem that they've had. Essentially the, the way I would look at it is trying to like continuously go through a document with whiteout and changing parts of it, but then realizing they got to change another part to make that make sense. Okay. I got to go back and change this part now to anybody who's ever tried to put page numbers in an index. Yeah. Like the, as things shift through the rest of the document, now you have to go back and change everything here. And one small change can just set you back entirely. Uh, and the cool way, like you said, it shows these equal parts rational and crazy. And you're presented with a very rational face with just little slivers and cracks of the crazy. 
And I like that he's able to make those so potent through mild conversation that it becomes very clear that this dude's off his fucking rocker. His uh, rationale is compromised because he's got personal investment in his wife's colony. Uh, and we'll later come to find out that he's even got like this paranoia persecution complex where he believes that time is a living thing and out to spite him personally. Um, and that's going to be the fun part of this second part is, is all the stuff boiling through. But during this dinner, he's like, Hey, why don't you eat all this stuff from all these dead empires that no longer exist because of me? Ha ha ha. Uh, and if you work with me, we can, we can do something pretty swell here for your ship. And Tom's like, uh, no, fuck you. I'm not playing ball with this. And he's like, well, listen, if you don't want to work with me, I can put your ass back in the pokey. And then Tom's like, I love jail. <laughs> See you later, Chakotay. I'm going to go back to jail. And Chakotay, though, the emergence of Coopte happens in this moment. At first, you think maybe it's all part of a ruse. That's what I thought. I'm like, right. okay, he's going to play him and be like, oh, yeah, I'm really interested. Tell me more while I, like, you know, steal the keys off your desk. Exactly. That's what you would think the move is. But no. Chakotay seriously starts to buy into this crazy man's ramblings about changing the time-space continuum. And, like, like it, it's straight up. But Hitler had some good ideas, too. Like, that is what I couldn't think What Like, that is what he's saying is like this mass murdering, you know, uh, crazy man who's erasing all civilizations from time and space to, like, get his wife back. Um, you know, he's done good things. This is Chakotay, the same guy who wouldn't let Harry Kim use a tricorder <laughs> on some spider webbed up dudes on space spider asteroid. And now he's like. I would like to know more about your genocidal approach to time travel. Please. <laughs> Perhaps there's a pad I could read up on. Do you, do you have a So pamphlet? Space Boddicker is like, I like the cut of your jib. Why don't we go over here and talk some more? And starts to clue him in. And these guys start becoming buddies. And like you said, I thought he was just buttering him up for like, you know, the big betrayal. No, Coopte is back. He has bought in in record time. I'm going to have to go back and get the co-opt a <laughs> line chart. <laughs> it's, it's instantaneous and it's completely unearned. Like, like we, we praised Kirkwood Smith already in the prior episode, yeah. his acting skill. And certainly you, you've already mentioned like the power and how he is able to convey this through simple conversation. And, and strike a balance between rational and crazy such that he remains sympathetic despite the yeah. fact he's clearly wrong. Like the viewer is not intended to ever interpret from his actions that he is right. Just simply that he is tragically flawed. Yes. He's a family man. He's lost his entire family. As he mentions to Chakotay later, it's like, I didn't just get my wife killed. I caused my wife, my kids and my grandkids to not exist in time. Like my whole family isn't dead they never existed which is so much worse right and so he's desperate to fix that of course tragically he's doing so by doing it to everyone else right to try and like strike this balance and going back and essentially visiting this trauma on other people without really like registering that that's what he's doing so he's sympathetic but he's not supposed to be someone you're like oh yeah he's he's just he's fine he just needs to be led in a different direction chakotay's like no, it's just fine. Yeah, it's just, we, we, I can use this. I can manipulate space time and get him his technology to really like get Voyager in the right place. Like, what? <laughs> what? 
like you were saying before, like to like, oh, let's not work with the Borg. Let's like, let's not, let's avoid giving power to like a horrifically powerful enemy. And then you come across a a crazy Captain Ahab, you know, time space manipulating, uh, you know, megalomaniac. And and you're like, no, this is cool. This is a guy I want to get in bed with. Give me a piece of chalk. I want to get on this uh, this chalkboard action. Um, It's a very sad ship overall. It's a very sad story overall. You know, you're erasing entire civilizations from existing. His uh, talks about how he erased his family, having to live with that. We'll come to get to know his uh, first officer who gets buddy-buddy with Tom Paris and is very clearly not happy with the situation. I think everybody after that 98% restoration win Mm -hmm. understands that this dude's off his rocker. And I will say also, the they it kind of color in the details of how what a big deal that ninety eight percent was in the second half of the episode. You really got to start to understand like that really should have been when they stopped. Yeah. Like that was an irrational choice on on Anorex's part to move them past that. Um, he talks about how for the first couple dozen years he still celebrated his brother's birthday and his mom and dad and his friends. Uh, until it finally dawned on him that he's celebrating birthdays for people who never existed and that they all exist alone. And it's just, it's some really good high concept sci-fi to think what life has to be like for the people on this ship that exists outside of time. Uh, you know, you're trapped in this. Yeah. Ageless outside of time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, take all your vampire stories about what if you lived forever locked in, you know, wherever you're at in the status quo, doing terrible things to the universe uh, and just wanting it all to be over, and you can't because you are. I mean, it, it, it's a really good story about two hundred years of hell, and like the hubris of their technology allows them to continue to try and like. It's the classic Scythian task. They're trying to push the boulder uphill, and they can get really close to the top. But they will never actually be able to get it to the top. And it's going to roll back downhill and they're going to push it back up again. And they're aware like, of how futile the task is to get it perfect. And how frustrated they are with the obvious um, lack of rationality on the part of their leader. Where they got it closer than they had ever, ever been. They called it a miracle that they got that close. And they couldn't they weren't allowed to stop because, you know, Anorex didn't get his wife back. And so the mission isn't over and they really want it to be done. And they don't spend too much time telling you that they show you that. And I've said before, when they show you rather than tell you the show is so much better. Remember resistance? Yeah. How much of that was, we're going to see it rather than have to be told that through performance you know like that uh i forget the name of the guest star he was the guy who won the oscar that was the guest star there who was the resistance dad yeah you know like you you learn so much just by experiencing that rather than body language body language and all that rather than than anything else so you know it's it's really well done on their part and that's why this is such a gripping part of the episode because all the stuff on Voyager with it continuing to decay and Janeway's going crazy and everyone well, wants to stop you know, her. It's I think like, there's there's a there's a good story going on in Voyager at the point that, you know, they're kind of in the same position that you've got Janeway locked on her goal and the rest of the crew trying to pump brakes on things and her just 
that's no, true. Fuck it. We're going to, you know, the both leaders on both ships are obsessed because Janeway's like, we've been in this nebula too long. We came in here to lick our wounds and heal. Fuck it. We're getting out of here now. And seven to nine busts around and says, that's a bad call. And Janeway's like, how dare you, you know, oppose me in one of these meetings. And it's, you know, like, hey, I brought everybody here to get together uh, to. So we're all on the same page and let's share ideas and then immediately shut the, the meeting down. We're going to do this. And there's opposition. No, we're going to do it anyways. And I'm like, they're doing a nice job showing that these captains really aren't that dissimilar. Just, you know, one of them's destroying reality. The other one's just destroying her ship. But I mean, that's uh, I'll be honest. I, I hadn't thought of the parallel. But now that you mentioned it is really obvious, yeah. like both of them become blind to everything else around them to the detriment of everyone else around them. Um, Tuvok drops a line shortly after where he's like, listen, seven to nine, you can't, you can't bust the captain out like that. She's like, well, even if I'm right and she's wrong, he's like, well, listen, what's he say? Uh, The captain is always right. If there's one thing, the captain's always right. And I have absolute trust in Janeway's decision, blah, blah, blah. And all I hear is, yeah, one time I did do mutiny with Seska. Mutiny <laughs> with Seska. And... With Seska. In conspiracy with Seska. But, you know, other than that one major time, I just got my slap on the wrist. It wasn't a big deal. It's not like I got caught kissing Balan out in the hallway or anything. <laughs> the only time Janeway has ever really delivered fury onto people. So, uh, the episode progresses to its climax in that they don't show how or why Voyager makes friends in this part of space. I guess it's not important. We've seen them do it enough times that it's like, okay. And you know what? Good. Show me examples of Voyager's side quests and good deeds coming back to help it. And when they need help that they can fly into a bad situation with a rolling crew. I don't need to see her befriend these people. I know how she does it. Great. And she manages to befriend a couple races and convince them that Anorex is out there changing time and fucking with things and they have to stop. And comes up with a plan. Because what Tom does is eventually um, befriend the first officer enough to convince him that, you know, let me get a word out to, to... to Janeway, let her let me let tell her where you guys are. Maybe we can find a way to finally put an end to this. He's like, okay, I'm buying this. And then he has the tougher task of convincing Chicote to come back off the Coopte ledge and not buy into this. And it actually takes a uh, space Boddicker racing another civilization right in front of Coopte for him to like be like, oh, I guess this guy might be bad after all. Tom's like, listen, I got the biggest prison jailbreak. I've done to date. And I've done some doozies, Chicote. You're going to like this. And Chicote's like, Coopte's like, no. He's like, but come on. And Coopte's like, no, this is all a good idea. And I think, uh, I think I can manipulate the situation and we can make something good happen here. And Tom's like, but logic. And Coopte's like, but I've gone native. <laughs> and then Tom's like, well, fuck you. I'm going to do this. And then Coopte's like, listen, if uh, you're not going to do it and I order you. And if we can't, uh, rely on chain of command. I'm just going to kick your fucking ass. I'm going to Dolby punch you right here, right now. So, and that brings up a, a good question. Now, like, who would win in a fight between Chakotay and uh, 
And Tom Paris? Tom Paris. Okay. That's an excellent question. I have I have several different answers for you. This is assuming that even though this is a prison situation, Tom has not secured a shank. Yet. Okay, I was going to say, if, is this a true prison situation or not? If so, Tom wins 10 times out of 10. Tom, where'd you get that sharpened toothbrush? <laughs> my butt! I, I say, in my prison pocket, has been there the whole time. So uh, Ever if, since the shoot, this baby hasn't left. Uh, if we are assuming just like a straight up fist fight without any kind of prison enhancement... <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say Chakotay has the edge because of the power of the Dolby Punch. We have seen, like, the earth-shattering, cross-the-body, just pure, unrestricted, you know, I mean, might of the Dolby Chakotay's Punch. Chakotay's bigger. Like, if he puts his ass into it, he's probably got a better shot. But I, I have to imagine that Tom's been in prison, been in more fights. I mean, granted, Chakotay was a terrorist. But he's not a very good one. No, I mean, like... Not. We know that, and and Tom's a scrapper. I'm not yeah. saying he wouldn't put up a fight. Tom does uh, Klingon yoga. He does. He does, and he wrestles around with Klingons in bed. <laughs> I think I gotta go with Tom, man. And Toby Punch is so good, though. He knows he's how to punch. Bu- yeah, he's a fight. Like we're gonna find out in season five that he, he used to be a boxer. No, and... We already know that from the crewmen. Everybody loved that. We never. Oh yeah, that's right. Like he got into fights. He that... was a mining colony. Blue collar brawler. So I think if we're we're talking technical fighting skill, it's Chicote. If we're talking scrapping skill, it's Tom Paris. I'd say it's a fight, but but well, I'm Chicote glad they don't they out. don't show us uh, what happens. You know, while <laughs> while Coopte's threatening to kick Tom's ass, the alarms <laughs> go off, and we find out that, like you said, there is going to be an unscheduled adjustment. Coopte, who feels like he has befriended Captain uh, Space Boddicker, is like, hey, listen, we didn't discuss this. And he's like, uh, no, I had a moment of inspiration in the shower this morning. We're going to fiddle around with this thing. And he's like, but that's going to we can do this without killing more people. And he's like, mm, we're going to do this anyways. Fire. And that's the moment where Coopte is forced to see in plain sight that there is no changing this man, that he is, in fact, a bad guy. And that the situation is beyond repair. This finally leads uh, Chakotay and Tom to instituting the mutiny plan. So they get word to Janeway that they can set the situation up to get the the time core of the ship offline. So that instead of it being outside of time and space, it enters a real space again and is vulnerable. And then Tom points out the ship's actually not very well defended. Uh, it's... Uh, hull and shielding are quite weak because of everything that's necessary to to phase it out of time. So when it's in real space, it's very vulnerable to assault. And Janeway summons up all the friends that they've made uh, in this part of space to launch an attack against Anorex's ship after it's been disabled. So there was a line I want to throw in there real quick because we're, we're skimming over a lot of Anorex sympathy moments where he is spending quality time with Coopte about, you know, his poor wife and all this. The, the, the line I wanted to call out specifically is that, uh, you know, where he starts laying out this persecution complex where, again, he believes that time is a sentient thing. Yeah. And it has- time is aware that what he is doing is a direct violation to it. And that time is playing this cruel game where, 
it, it's playing keep away with this colony. It knows where his wife is. It knows what he wants. And it's just dangling it over his head. Um, and that uh, the line, something along the lines of like, uh, you know, the, the irony of all of this is that I thought I was sitting there figuring out how to save our people with this weapon. In fact, I was calculate what I was calculating was my wife's fate. And I thought that was a really powerful line. In the- it, it, it was shades of the uh, time as the fire in which we burn line from generations yeah. is what it reminded me of. You know, he's he, the way that uh, Kirkwood Smith talks about like time having moods and the way he's like the way he talks about a Chicote so intense and yeah. so personal to him and the way he's able to convey. It's like even though this this dialogue is objectively so silly, but it doesn't matter. You don't think it's silly. Like you, you think of it objectively and you look at the lines and it's like, oh, really? But like you hear it and you watch the scene, and you're like, I, I feel it. I see it. I see where this guy's coming from. I see how centuries of doing calculation after calculation and trying to find the answer and just always coming up short makes you think like it's mocking me. Time itself is mocking me. It knows it wants me to uh, change it. It knows it wants me to to get my wife back and it is just denying me it can't be any other rationale for it and you and you get it i think the last time we saw guest star on the show who could take what should have been silly lines and really pull them off what was back in cold fire what was that dude's name gary graham yeah and, and he knocked it out of the park and i'd say kurtwood smith does an even better job with this the, that scene is also important because it sets the table for how they chose to end it and I know that there was a version of this where they were going to end it with uh, Space Boddicker's, like, supposition about time having an alpha arm ended up being true. Hmm. Yeah, so if you read the Memory Alpha on this episode, they had a lot of different ways to end it. And one of them was, in the end, actually time was, like, purposefully keeping this piece of what he wanted. Like, there's a suggestion that that was true. Um they obviously want a different ending, but that ending is still conveyed here. And that is that he is the reason all of this has happened. And he does not see that he is the reason why so all of this happened. Out. Yeah. So this episode ends. Oh, we can jump right in. <laughs> all, well, to explain what I'm, what to explain what I'm talking about, I have to explain the ending. Mm-hmm. So the ending in the end, the ship itself is destroyed. The timeship itself is destroyed. It is destroyed in a temporal inversion on the ship itself. It erases the ship from time. Okay? Mm-hmm. And it is the perfect solution to the problem. Right? If the time shift ship never existed, then nothing the time ship ever did ever happened. And for all of his ability, he's blind to the obvious solution of, oh, if I'm the reason why all this happened then why don't I eliminate the thing that made this happen? Because he's the anti-hero to Janeway. And as Janeway's right. third rule of character is, I'll blow the goddamn ship up myself. That never that never occurs to him. That, yeah. you know, he's too wrapped up in the arrogance of his accomplishment to actually understand that he is attempting to solve for a solution that can never be solved. Like, the time, this is too complex for him to ever get to the solve for X that he wants. And the answer has been staring him in the face the whole time that he has to admit defeat and destroy that, which has brought him to this point. And if he does that, he actually gets what he wants, but he's, it's, it's this perfect balance to the situation. And, and 
the scene where he's explaining all of this, like when, when they show you what happens in the end, you're like, of course that's ha- what happened. He, he would be at home with his wife happy because he never had the thing that took that away from him. You know, and I thought that was really poetic. Uh, before we get to the ending, there's a moment where Janeway's assembling her armada of five ships. Yeah. <laughs> Voyager looks like it got turned into a cat's play toy, and there's very large chunks of pole completely missing. There's no good reason at all that Voyager should be going into this fight. She's Cutco sales pyramided these other <laughs> races of... Hey, listen, there's a super powerful weapon out there. Uh, full disclosure, the guy flying it's like super petty. And if you fuck with him, he's like going to erase your species from ever existing. <laughs> but if you can give me like two ships each, <laughs> I think we can go fuck with him. <laughs> and that rusted up Buick Regal out there that looks like someone <laughs> fucking towed it over here. Yeah, the one that's like leaking plasma and piss everywhere. That's my. I'm gonna fly that in there. That's gonna be the command ship. <laughs> and these guys are like, yeah, that's a fucking sweet idea. Sign us Here's up. Here's my space hoopty. Yeah, I'm totally legit, guys. I'm a legit Starfleet captain. Look at me. I'm wearing a sweaty tank top. I'm covered in fucking burns like some meth head. That- that, that's a Starship Voyager. That is completely not a stolen RV full of <laughs> meth lab equipment that keeps exploding on us. Uh, so oh, did just, I mention I have a board? <laughs> yeah, I got a board too, by the way. Uh, hey, listen. I'm credible, right? Q on to fuck me. <laughs> that's my claim to fame. So she's like, uh, okay, you guys, you're going to go on uh, these ships, and then you guys, you're going to go over there, and then Tuvok's like, hey, listen, uh, we got to have a touching going away moment where I'm going to be like, you don't need to stay on Voyager because it's not going to survive hitting a pothole on the road, (laughs) let alone fighting the Death Star uh, Citadel. So why don't you just come over on one of the other ships? Oh, no, I got to go down with the ship. You know how it goes. And it's like, didn't we tell the whole crew to like escape and escape pods and shuttlecraft and that we're going to meet up with them? Like you are so dedicated. I don't know if it's dedicated to killing (laughs) the, the anoraks space bodiker. I don't know if it's dedication that I'm going to get Tom and Chakotay back, but like you also have like a hundred people ish waiting for you somewhere else. Maybe, you know, assuming space whales didn't eat them on the way there that they still need a ride to get home, which is this. And that's that same thing. You want to like go right off in the sunset, like a crazy person. But, um, Tubac gets his going away speech with, uh, with Janeway. And I thought that that's good. It's funny that the two best character development moments, I think out of the standard crew, both involve Tubac, who's usually not one of the strong performers for interpersonal relationships. You know, he's, uh, Come a long way from, you know, Tuvok in charge, babysitting in season two. Yeah. I feel like they found a better way to put it because they they did that in The Raven, too, where he was like the emotional support Tuvok for uh, Seven of Nine. Yeah. But it kind of worked a little bit there, too. Like, it worked better and it worked well here as, as well, like, because they had all those scenes with him in Seven of Nine and then, you know, his interaction with the captain, like... 
he had uh, more scenes that seemed to fit kind of the lane he he can occupy when it comes to these kind of things. But they do it. They do the scene and they have the big fight. There's a really, really rad sequence where one of the ships... Um, fucking dope. That collision yeah. looks good. So one of the ships uh, gets disabled and crashes in to Voyager's saucer section, just like scrapes across it. Scalps it. Yeah, and just like takes out huge chunks of the hull again. Which is a really great case for why the most important part of the starship, the bridge, should not be on the very top of the most exposed oh, have part. Have you ever, if you, if, if, I, you love Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Have you ever heard Ron Moore talk about that? No. So Ron Moore, obviously, originally TNG, yeah. and then DS9, and then very, very, very briefly Voyager. And one of the things that when he was designing the, the BSG uh, reboot stuff was like the bridge is going to be in the middle of the fucking ship. It's not going to be in the front. It's not going to be on the top. It makes no fucking sense in space. It's going to be in the middle of the ship that is connected to everything and is the most protected part. Because where else would it be? You know, like that makes no sense for it to be in those places. It was like a huge pet peeve of his. Yeah. And anybody who has little star trek starship action figures it's like wait, this thing hits everything yeah, yeah. right look, there looking at the eagle look at this, yeah. right upside down <laughs> what's the first part that hit look look at the whole ship i have voyager action figure eagle moss thing and i've put it upside down and the whole ship balances perfectly and the only part touching the table is the bridge yeah yeah it's just it just makes no sense but yeah so this uh i mean i okay i take it back it makes no sense logically it makes sense from the perspective of when they when roddenberry made star trek the idea was the bridge of all ships was like on a high point because that's how ships on sea navigated sure. you know like to so be able to see like so when they designed the spaceship they decided to design it the same way and obviously this is taking its cues from the roddenberry era so I get the stylistic reason why, but from a logical reason, it makes no sense. It should be in the middle of the ship. So the uh, takeaway there is you should go and buy Star Trek. Eagle Moss figures. Yeah, they're great. They're, they're Very awesome. detailed. And they're like 20 bucks. Anyway. <laughs> um, uh, but so there's two magical space friendships from each magical space faction. Which you never see. You don't see their faces. It's fine. It's fine. We didn't really ever talk about the Kremen look like. The Kremen look like <laughs> the other guy, the Zoldar. Zal. Zal look like Zoobly Zoo dudes. And we'll post some pictures of Zoobly Zoo. <laughs> post the girl one. Her. <laughs> post that. That's ter- oh, that is terrifying. The furries went to glamour shots at the moment. Um, <laughs> the Zal, the, the Kremlin look like some dudes with some crusty temples. I, there's something yeah. about their, their design too that makes it look like maybe these guys have something going on that puts them a little different timeline than everybody. It's something temporal about them. Yeah. Because yeah, it's on their temples, temporal. Te- it? Hey! Yeah, yeah. I th- maybe that was intended, but like they have like a time sense or something. Yeah. Like, no, I get it. Uh, so the one of the ships, you know, wigs out, scrapes along Voyager. Voyager is now hella fucked. Yeah, and, and meanwhile on the ship itself the first officer is revolted and powered down the temporal core mm-hmm. uh, sabotage the whole thing the time ship has come into real space and is like shooting like all kinds of like real weapons now mm-hmm. and uh you know meanwhile uh like tom is attempting to essentially sabotage the ship and and put it in a position where it's going to be vulnerable he succeeds 
but all of the magical friendships get disabled, and only Voyager is still flying, despite mm-hmm. having a huge piece of its saucer completely missing. And that's when uh, Janeway does what Janeway does best. Rule number three. Destroy the ship, and decides to ram uh, the Citadel uh, with Voyager directly, under the supposition of, if I destroy the time ship, maybe I will reset the timeline. Now, what a big That's a big gamble. if! That's a big if! That's a big fucking... That's a crazy space madness... If that my my quibble from this part, like the first quibble we had was this is a cl- clear reference to an episode that Kess was in that had direct, direct reference to something Kess did that never referenced what Kess actually did. And it made no sense. My quibble with this half is there is no reason at all that, that Catherine Janeway has been given as far as we can see the destruction of the ship will mean anything but the destruction of the ship. Like there's been no line of dialogue in the whole show. I mean, that blowing this up the means... The last Jedi has not been viewed yet. We don't know that you can just ram ships and fix problems. <laughs> well, I mean, I would buy that she thinks I can ram the ship and just blow it up. Sure. But she thinks she can ram it, blow it up, and this will reset the timeline. And it, like, took a specific temporal inversion event to do that. That just so happens to happen? I hate time travel, but if there's one thing <laughs> I know how to do, it's that you can fix a time conundrum by shooting in the hole. <laughs> That's true. That's a callback to the Candy Corn tragedy, where our <laughs> big penultimate resolution to how to fix a planet that's on the eve of destruction is to shoot a phaser into an atmospheric butthole. <laughs> so, uh, the the writers, according to the Memory Alpha, like they had all these ways to fix it and eventually one of the producers was like just have a ram the ship into the other ship and reset the timeline it's real our viewers are stupid right and this is the easy way and to be fair the voyager ramming the the main bad guy ship looks pretty fucking cool it is cool it's not every day you see a hero ship in star trek slam into something else it's and like collapse in it's real well done and this CG. isn't like you know reworked remastered stuff this is 97 original footage and it's it's pretty fucking cool how however this brings us all the way back i think to something we talked about now two hours ago by our relative sense and that is that this is a bottle episode this is the bottle episode. This is the bottle episode that all bottle episodes are to ever be judged on. This is the hugest, most biggest pile of what if done right across the board. And this isn't just a bottle episode. This is a, and it was all a dream. Yeah, this is the next shot after the temporal inversion on the ship erases it from history is, it says day one at the bottom. And it's Voyager just rolling through Kremen space. It's totally healed. Everyone's alive. Nobody is disheveled. Of course, Seven of Line looks great, but... Janeway's hair still, unfortunately, looks terrible. And they're talking about, you know, their new astrometrics lab. And they come across a guy, same captain from the first episode. And this time he's just kind of just businessy. He's just like, please... He's real cool. He's like, "Uh, you shouldn't be here. This is a war zone. And they're like, well, we're just passing through. And he's like... Well, uh, stay away from these places and we'll be cool. And they're like, okay. And he's like, peace. So, like, very professional and not very hostile. And they just continue on. And uh, the last shot of the episode is actually 
Anorax at home with his wife working on something uh, on his desk and his wife like asking, Hey, will you take the, you know, the afternoon and go out with me? And he's convinced and says, I can make the time, you know, one last time pun for our time travel episode Mm -hmm. and walks away from the desk. But we see on the desk, he's been working on like the same kind of time manipulation science that the weapon was based on. So, um, again, it's an elegant solution that he has everything he was always looking for because he never made the mistake to begin with, but it doesn't prevent him from making the mistake again in the future. Well, as soon as this thing wrapped up and, you know, everybody is happily ever after. Yeah. Uh, my wife's first comment is, okay, so the moral of the story here is that suicide causes happy endings for everyone. <laughs> and I was like, That's, yes. That sounds that I mean your wife has a unique yes, perspective on the dark why, side of the human psyche. That is why Janeway is so quick, I guess, to blow the ship up all the time as she knows that just by killing herself, she's going to fix all of the problems. We we just saw it happen. Um great two-parter, great episode. Uh the Kess stuff aside, I agree completely that the biggest failing is that again, this is uh, it was all a dream, you know, that's yeah. a great uh, stuff we established with Tuvok and uh, Seven of Nine gets erased. Um, Tom's cool accolades for building the Titanic hull plating, yep. which we didn't really talk about. Uh, you know, all that stuff never happens. The audience gets to see it. None of it gets retained. But boy, you know, when we have these homeostasis reset opportunities, do something bold, do something crazy, show something significant on the screen. Um, that makes it worth our time if you're just going to reset things anyways. And I think for a it was all a dream bottle episode, this is the right way to do it. I agree that it's the best bottle episode. And in some ways, it's spiritually the avatar of Voyager in that it's very well done, but it's a bottle episode, right? Uh, I'm not taking it away from it. It's really it's a great hour and a half of Trek. It's really worth watching as one piece one of the best guest yeah. actors. I mean, great guest actor. You know, I don't, to my knowledge, he has not yet been a part of Better Call Saul. <laughs> but, you know, there's still another, at least one more episode to go. So um, maybe I'll sneak on there. Yeah. Um, um, but Bob Odenkirk, if you're listening, <laughs> please reach out to Kurtwood and see if he'll, you know, be a client of Saul's. That'd be really cool. Um, but. I don't know if I really agree that it's quote unquote the best episode of Voyager um, because it's a bottle episode. I think there's but some Voyager e- is bottle episodes. Not all of it is. It's got everything. It's got action. It's got seven and nine. It's got seven of nine looking good. <laughs> it's got everybody else looking so bad that seven and nine looks even better. It's got ships ramming ships. I think that there are episodes of Voyager that we have already watched that are better than this. I'm not going to say by a huge margin, but I would say, for example, uh, Fair Trade is a better episode of Voyager than this. And it's a better episode because it's not a bottle episode. Because it is a buildup of what happened before and lays groundwork for what happens after. It's a character study where what happens has consequences directly and indirectly, as we, we saw afterwards. Like that to me is better than this because this ultimately meant nothing. It was cool. It was a cool hour and a half of TV. I was very entertained by it. But when thinking about 
a you know a television show over the course of seven years and the payoff you get as a viewer from watching that is seeing the characters change seeing continuity seeing things build and this doesn't mean anything to that it's just this hour and a half movie and it's neat but it it's not my favorite, and I don't think it would be even in my You're top five. You're just racist against bottle episodes. Yeah, I, I am racist against bottle. You got him. You got me. Uh, I'd have to really sit down and put some real thought into if I think this is the best episode to date. I would, I would ease, counting parts one and two as one episode, I, I would certainly put a top three. Um, and I'll have to sit down and put some real time and see uh, where else it goes. But in the sea of filth, that season four has been up to this. Oh point. yeah, I mean, no doubt. Or this is a heads and tails of anything we've seen in the last uh, several you know, weeks. This isn't just a life preserver thrown out into sea of shit. This is like the lost city of Atlantis <laughs> up from from an ocean of poop to elevate the viewers to good sanctuary. Trek. Yeah, to good. great trek. Yeah. So um, I'm feeling it's good, and it, it, it's good at provoking thought. It's great acting. And I keep it's looking, a prison episode. I keep looking over to my computer screen, and it's still it's Zubli Zoo. Still, it's got Zubli Zoo characters all over it. And yeah, I um, yeah, those poor is all. I regret everything about the last two hours. Yeah. All right, man. Uh, I don't have <laughs> Netflix pulled up, so I don't know what's going to happen next here. Well, Maybe you can do me the honors. Over well, let's here. see. Okay, Voyager. All right. So after this, we're going into. Season four, episode 10, Random Thoughts. And we see uh, Tuvok, and he's putting the hands on what can't be Seska, but some other lady with face makeup. It's got to be Bolana. You think that's Bolana? Oh, yeah, that's Bolana. Or her. That's her, Ridges. I, Those are Bolana. Oh, okay, that's all right, Bolana. all right. Voyager visits a planet with a telepathic race that outlaws negative thoughts, and Bolana is charged with releasing an angry thought. This is, uh, looks like stupid next-gen season one crap where Wesley goes in the flower bed. Was that Angel One? Was that what that was called? Yeah, I remember that episode. I forget the name of it, but yeah. The... Is this going to be covered in people, bodybuilders and models wearing loincloths? We can only be so lucky. Because otherwise, it's just going to be more crappy crap. Sorry, we got too good there for a second. We got to drag the series back in the trash. Thank you for listening to this special two-part edition of Vija, please. This one too. <laughs> uh, we appreciate you sticking with us. Uh, uh, you can always reach us at uh, Vija, please at gmail.com, Twitter at Vija, please on Facebook, Vija, please. And of course our Vija, please trauma support group on Facebook. If you want to chat about Star Trek stuff, share spicy memes or otherwise uh, talk about the show. We're always well, we will always welcome you. And until next time, peace. Peace.